Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank Schward Consulting for sponsoring this episode. Schward Consulting is a leading solar consulting firm dedicated to design, engineering, and owner's representation in all areas of solar photovoltaics for the commercial, industrial, and utility markets. Thank you again for sponsoring the podcast. Florida Power and Light, next there are energy dominates the market. They're a wonderful organization. They're a utility that does offer probably one of the lowest cost of electricity in the nation. So we do have to give them credit for that. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen. So let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to have Alex Rivera. He's the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Vanguard Energy Partners. Vanguard Energy Partners is a national solar design build firm that specializes in commercial, industrial, and utility scale projects. Some of Vanguard's most notable projects include the highest solar array in the world, one of the largest rooftop arrays in North America, the first commercial net zero facility in the United States, and the largest array in New Jersey built by a public utility. Alex is responsible for managing sales and business development initiatives. He also tracks government solar incentives for Vanguard, and he has over 15 years of business development experience. I appreciate Alex's support. He was actually on one of the first Solar Maverick podcasts. This is episode 73. He was actually on episode four strategies to acquire commercial industrial solar customers and the New Jersey solar market that came out in November of 2018. It is our most downloaded podcast of the Solar Maverick podcast. And I had to get Alex back on the podcast. We had such great feedback from the interview and welcome Alex to the podcast. Thank you for being on it again. Glad to uh, participate. Thank you for the invitation. And again, as always, good to remind ourselves, why are we here? Why this podcast? Why this type of interaction? And everything, I guess, can be originated or it can be pointed to the initial commitment by the state of New Jersey and other northeastern states toward the expansion of renewable energy. So here we stand today, some 18 years later, after New Jersey has successfully promoted and fostered investment from the marketplace that were renewable energy. And we have all learned quite a bit and happy to interact. Yeah, definitely. And we got such great perspective last time about New Jersey policy and your perspective on the commercial industrial market. And then also as well, I asked you about the Northeast markets, which you said is the best market really to be in the US. So it would be great to talk about it. And I think it'd also be helpful just for our audience to learn more about Vanguard Energy Partners, specifically your role. I know I gave a very high-level description if they didn't leave, listen to the previous podcast. Sure. So my role as a founder with three other colleagues of Vanguard Energy Partners is primarily the development and origination of solar commercial and utility-scale projects. What does that really mean at the end of the day? I personally ensure that our initial interaction with a client, whether it's a utility, a customer within the CNI commercial industrial sector, can comfortably understand the financial, the technical, and the regulatory aspects of retrofitting their existing site with 
solar energy generation. Our job is to make the whole initiative as one that the clients can relate to and truly understand the risks and the rewards in how to best structure the transaction in order to maximize, obviously, not only the financial returns on the investment, but more importantly, or equally as important, the sustainability and overall energy savings benefits to the site. So that's above all what I personally do, whether it's a small warehouse or commercial entity, or we're talking about a larger scale community solar project for a utility. That's who we are. And we have a 13 year strong history based out of New Jersey. We're probably among a handful of companies that date back to that original days of solar in New Jersey and specifically under the same ownership and structure since inception. Make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's key. I think, as we've mentioned before, companies want to move to solar and basically they want to help the environment. So if they're able to save money on their electricity, they're motivated by both things, not just increasing the usage of renewable energy, but it has to be both before they're actually willing to move forward. But if I can also jump in, I like to expand on that very point of the customer, whether it's a small residential install or it's a large commercial industrial facility, it is important for us as professionals. And I think my competitors, a lot of them do a fantastic job in their marketing in properly channeling their efforts to make solar a simple to assess initiative. We in this industry tend to get enamored and bogged down with all this solar technical terms and understandings, but we have to ensure that we step ourselves into our clients' shoes. We must make the whole process of assessing solar, de-risking a solar transaction, and ensuring our clients can reach a higher level of comfort in order to either A, proceed with a solar project, or B, not. In other words, not pursue the solar project. Because at the end of the day, my job is not to originate or sell a project. My job is to ensure our clients understand the transaction so they can objectively decide, is this truly beneficial to our company or not? And that goes for utilities all the way down to residential. So we, as solar energy contractors and originators of these transactions, should always remind ourselves, what is it that our clients are seeking? Is it a higher level of sustainability, a higher level of energy savings, and the ability to hedge their future cost of electricity? That should be the holy grail of getting up in the morning and ensuring that we are delivering that objective data to our end users. So that is the basis of everything that we're going to discuss from here on. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, really. that's a great point. I mean, it's an educated sale, right? Because there's so many different options for the client and what's the right solution is unique to each client. And it's about being objective and adding value to them. Because as you know, Alex, not everyone's doing a consultative sale. Like, you know, they have reasons why they want to focus on certain things, but that's great what you guys are doing. And that obviously differentiates you from other companies in the market. So certainly do you want to start perhaps by better understanding where we are in New Jersey, since that seems to be our base? Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. That would be great if you could talk about New Jersey, which is one of the robust 
solar markets in the U.S. and where you've done a lot of business. And there's a lot yeah. of questions of where the New Jersey market's going to be with their high renewable energy goals. So I agree with you, Benoit. As you previously said, I am still a strong believer that New Jersey's Board of Public Utilities, even to this day, has instituted and set forth a model that is most beneficial to the end user. New Jersey is true to its commitment of increasing where its electric generation comes from, in this case, clean sources, but more importantly, enabling the end user to have a reasonable payback in order to really adapt the technology. And everything starts with that incentive structure or model in order to properly foster folks to go out there and make those investments. Whether you're a small residential homeowner looking to offset your usage, or you're a large asset owner looking to set a community solar project, which output will benefit hundreds of folks throughout the region. At the end of the day, such policies rule that decision. So why don't we start with the dominant topics of this type of interaction when it comes to solar energy, which typically they're found within the incentive sources. From the federal government, as we all know, we have schedule reductions of the business investment tax credit. That is a important element on the payback of any solar project. And again, we are discussing the solar payback investment because it not only benefits the actual investor behind the transaction, but it actually also benefits the residents who might opt to pursue a non-CAPEX, non-investment option, perhaps like a power purchase agreement, perhaps a tax lease, any other form that bypasses the client to make an investment. At the end of the day, these incentives rule not only the downstream recipient of these benefits, but also the original owner of the facility. So one goes in hand with the other. At the federal level, the drop from 30 to 26% on the IPC, the investment tax credit, it will absolutely have a detrimental effect on the deployment of solar throughout North America. That goes without saying, it's an easy math. The fact that we're dropping four percentages point will have an effect. Besides the federal incentive, we have the New Jersey ongoing migration from the very successful solar renewable energy certificates known as the SRECs, right? Which is looking to end tomorrow, the 30th of April. And that's going to give way to the new TREC, Transitional Renewable Energy Certificates, which as we all know, will serve the purpose of continuing to set an incentive until the final permanent New Jersey solar program is put in place at a date yet to be determined. So for this conversation, the T-REC is key for all these projects, given the fact that the efforts will go away starting tomorrow. That T-REC is offering a very unique benefit to the state of New Jersey, to the off-takers, to the asset owners of solar projects. Unlike the SREC, the T-REC is a fixed stream of revenues priced at $152 per megawatt hour for the next 15 years. So we are having very positive responses from the marketplace now that New Jersey has gone to a revenue certain model versus a market-based volatility option that we previously had. 
So think about the decision of doing solar in New Jersey before the DREX. You had to make a certain number of assumptions as to what the value would be after a certain number of years. That element of risk, that element of speculation specifically brings an element of cost, of higher financing costs of higher overall costs to the solar project. So now that we have removed that risk element from the New Jersey provided cash incentive, the DREC is certainly having a very positive effect on the adoption of solar in New Jersey. Of course, other elements like the ongoing pandemic and other items like the federal tax credit are obviously playing a role, but this is something that every residential, commercial, off-taker, any New Jersey resident should at least take the time to explore because that incentive certainty, it's truly spelling out a cleaner and much more manageable process in order to really assess the initiative of starting solar. How does that sound, Benoit? Should you agree with that point? Yeah, I agree with the point. I mean, I think now financing costs are going to be lower because there's certainty with the revenue instead of what you're saying, people would see what a three to five year forward was in the market and then estimate what the SREX were with the 15 year, 10 year life. It's a lower value, right? Because I think 2020 SREX are probably trading between 220 to 230. Now you're talking about $152. I think the other interesting aspect that we talked uh, before we start recording is, is that they've created certain factors to incentivize, and de- I guess you could say de-incentivize as well, uh, certain types of development. Can you talk about like the different factors and how that impacts the development in the state? Yes, that's a great transitional point. So again, every citizen of New Jersey, whether we're talking about a specific residential install or commercial, should take a very close look at what's going on in New Jersey. I will say the Board of Public Utilities and the New Jersey Clean Energy Program, my recommendation would be for them to step up the educational process, because there are clients in New Jersey who are still thinking solar is a seven, eight, nine-year, 10-year payback, which is not correct. We are absolutely looking at installs, which have a three to five and a half year payback. And that's a material point that we should absolutely get the word out to the public. Now, New Jersey has decided to primarily incentivize in order of priority landfills, sites of historical disposal, followed by rooftops, followed by parking lots, meaning solar over parking canopies. All these areas are prioritized by this 15-year fixed incentive by way of providing those sites with a full incentive at $152. However, if you're looking to install solar in a vacant ground lot, you are looking at a 40% reduction on that $152 incentive. So a lot of our clients are asking, why am I being penalized for deciding to put solar panels on our backyard? Whether you're a residential site or you happen to be a large warehousing facility with a few acres behind you that you own and you like to put solar panels on. And the reason is pretty simple. New Jersey is trying to preserve green areas. Any type of open green area will have that reduced incentive in order to move the appetite for solar over your rooftop 
impact over your parking lot or any type of landfill, brownfill that you might have access to. So yeah, it is a dramatic 40% reduction on the incentive. And I will say, unfortunately, residential installs are also subject to the 40% reduction and only receive 60% of the full $152 New Jersey T-REC incentive. I'm assuming you have heard the same complaints on your end, Benoit, have you? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the residential market's basically saying that really hurts the economics related to their projects and that the residential industry in New Jersey for solar is going to decrease substantially. And residential installation the past few years has been the most installations that we have been seeing more than utility scale development and commercial industrial. So it's a big thing that I know a lot of residential installers are reaching out to the government officials, the BPU, the Office of Clean Energy. Right. So as it stands today, if you are an individual or business looking to deploy solar, absolutely, your rooftop and your parking areas, and if you're lucky to have access to a brownfill or a landfill, will be your areas for full incentive eligibility. So that is a very point of concern, which we are trying to navigate as we try to help our clients best retrofit their sites in order to bypass this this drastic reduction. So it saddens me that the residential installs have also been subject to the 40% reduction in incentive. I will say specifically, even though we do not do any residential work, a lot of my competitors and colleagues in the industry do, and my heart goes out to them, and we hope that further legislative efforts can yield some type of increase, some type of support in order to better incentivize residential installations. Definitely. And I think it was a great point that you mentioned before. I know this is a little bit off topic, that really the public has to know that solar is economical and has a payback within, as you said, especially in strong state level markets like New Jersey, where you have strong state level incentives and high electricity prices, that the payback for ownership for both commercial, industrial and residential is like three to five years. And I think a lot of people in the general public don't know that. So that was a great point. I just wanted to reiterate that. Well, let's expand on that point. The fact is, you're right. If you are a homeowner or a business in New Jersey with our high cost of electricity and the very high and robust incentive structures, you must do your homework. Not only do you have a great payback, but because of the great payback, you're also able to pursue a non-investment option. You have the ability to still institute clean solar energy on your site, raise your levels of sustainability, and bring energy savings without an investment because of the very political will in New Jersey that has led to that very sound and robust incentive program. The fact is, at the end of the day, you have a 25-year solar asset with 25 years of business life expectancy with a payback period of three to five and a half years. That is sound, that is robust, and it's good enough to at least do some form of due diligence. Like I tell my clients every day and prospective clients, if you don't do solar with me, please, I'm begging you, do your homework and do solar with somebody else, but at least do solar or assess solar at a minimum with somebody. That's how strong I feel about 
everyone really adopting some type of due diligence and defining the great benefits that New Jersey has extended to the public. Definitely. These are great points. And another part of the New Jersey program that's relatively new, and that's a very popular area of solar's community solar. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I would like to thank Schwerd Consulting for being the sponsor for this episode. Schwerd Consulting is a leading solar consulting firm dedicated to design, engineering, and owner's representation in all areas of solar voltaics for the commercial, industrial, and utility markets. At Schwerd Consulting, they like to say, we know solar, we don't just do solar. What sets them apart is their 100% focus on solar and understanding the business of their clients. In its five years of business, Schwerd Consulting has provided services for approximately 450 megawatts of PV across over 330 sites and 15 states plus the Caribbean. That total includes 300 megawatts of completed designs and engineering and 150 megawatts of consulting and owner rep services. Let Schwerd Consulting take the burden off you and bring ease and expertise in all areas of engineering and design or help you navigate the technical world of solar. If you're interested in learning more about Schwerd Consulting, you can call at 215-219-6718 or email at admin at schwerdconsulting.com. Schwerd Consulting website is www.schwerdconsulting.com. We'll also have this information as well in the notes of the podcast. Steve Schwerd, who's the owner of Schwerd Consulting, was interviewed on episode 17 and 48 of the Solar Maverick podcast and also episode 42, which was a panel discussion on how solar technology is changing the world. Thank you to Schwerd Consulting for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can you speak to like the community solar pilot in New Jersey and the opportunity with that? Absolutely. So again, let's not forget, everybody throws this term around community solar as if it's something that's a very old structure that's been around forever and easy to implement. I like to bring up and give a lot of gratitude to those folks in the industry and public officials who dedicated an incredible amount of effort in order for New Jersey to finally step up with this structure known as New Jersey Community Solar Program. What's so special about this program? Let's put this in very simple terms. Anytime you do solar in New Jersey and you're looking to offset your, obviously, your electricity savings and raise your levels of sustainability, you need to basically sit, you need to install solar panels, the solar technology, the project within your premises, whether it's your rooftop, your parking areas, your backyard, you must sit the project within the site that's going to consume the solar energy, or you could sit the solar project on a property contiguous to the site consuming the solar energy. So that sounds like a noble and excellent proposition. But what about those folks who, A, lack financial resources to implement solar on their site, B, lack the technical aspects to put solar? What if your rooftop is too old? What if your rooftop or backyard is fully shaded? What if you're technically just not in a good situation to do solar energy? Well, that's going to put a damper on your ability to do solar. Community solar allows you to receive the solar benefits from an installation not on your site, but foreign to your site. 
So think about all of us living on a specific neighborhood on a shaded street with not the ideal aspects or characteristics to do solar. How wonderful would it be for a solar developer to install a large solar project, say 20, 30, 40 miles away on an ideal site and yet credit our own utility bills with a percentage of the solar benefits from that foreign seated solar project. Basically, it's a wonderful initiative allowing those who have been prevented from financial or technical reasons in the past to benefit from solar, they are now able to do so as a result of this community solar project. It's a wonderful idea. Wouldn't you think, Benoit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you explained it great. I mean, it's an opportunity for people to have solar that wouldn't normally not have solar, and that creates a huge market and opportunity. And I think politicians love it because, as you mentioned, low-moderate income has access to solar that wouldn't normally have it. So that's absolutely. I mean, what a great point. This whole low to moderate income area should absolutely benefit from solar. So that is one qualifying aspect of any project currently attempting to benefit from this community solar project program in order to receive eligibility. Something I failed to explain, we are under a three-year pilot program, which New Jersey is carrying in order to define the permanent community solar program. Therefore, in order to have a community solar project built, solar developers must be selected through a specific criteria process in order to receive such eligibility to extend the benefits of community solar. And this low and having low to moderate income folks specifically receiving guaranteed savings from your project will absolutely increase the odds of being selected. So Vanguard, our company, is looking forward in participating on the second-year pilot program of projects seeking this eligibility, and we're very excited about it because we're working in doing specific partnerships with townships and LMI organizations in overall affordable housing agencies in order to match our projects with those specific groups to ensure the very purpose of this program to actually be met by our development. So we're very excited about Community Solar. I think it's going to extend the benefits of solar to so many folks who have been pretty much ignore throughout the years of New Jersey successfully expanding their program. So that's a humongous, humongous benefit. Yeah, definitely. And the pilot program is basically for three years. It's 75 megawatts each year. The first projects were awarded in December of 2019. From speaking to developers who are awarded, they were saying that they put 51% for LMI to help with, because I don't know, Alex, if you remember, they actually had like the six or seven different sort of characteristics for judging the projects. And that was a huge part of it was LMI was the highest part of whether they would move forward with the project. So people are trying to maximize the amount of LMI customers. Yeah, that's that criteria eligibility. You are absolutely correct, Benoit. LMI, low moderate income, would give your project in terms of eligibility the highest points for such assessment. So I think a lot of my competitors in the business have done a wonderful job in submitting applications. I actually saw the first year results and a lot of my friends and colleagues and frankly, competitors of ours 
did a fantastic job in ensuring eligibility. So we're looking forward to the second year and looking to really deploy some solar projects. But now that we're talking about community solar projects, we're actually pretty active in other states as well when it comes to community solar. Yeah, it would be great to hear other states that you're working on community solar. I know we were talking about New York and the projects that you're developing. So it would be great to hear more about that and what got you focused on New York and some of these other states. Yeah. So to me, it's a bit of an irony. If you go back to 2005, 2007, New Jersey has always led the nation, always top two, three, or four in the nation when it comes to deploying solar. And let's step back a little bit. If you remember back in 2002, 2003, New Jersey only had six installations. That's it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it was 2002. Fast forward to this year, New Jersey has over 126,000 installations in our state. So clearly, in the last 18 years, New Jersey has always been documented to be a leader on this industry. And by the way, we have over 3.7 gigawatts. Think about the capacity throughout the state when we simply had a couple hundred kW back in the day. It is just amazing the growth in New Jersey and the sustainability and economical benefits that New Jersey has enjoyed throughout this process. So why an irony? Why do I feel community solar is a bit of an irony? I believe it's an irony because even though we were a leader in this industry, really New York, Vermont, and other states actually took the lead on this very noble community solar program. Many other states like New York are years ahead of New Jersey in terms of implementing what I think is a very noble initiative. The fact that you can benefit and receive solar energy benefits, even though you don't have the financial resources or a site that's solar friendly, it's monumental. I think it goes without saying that I am a strong believer on every taxpayer on any given jurisdiction to have the same ability to save in electricity and raise their levels of sustainability, regardless of your financial status. So that's what Community Solar has done. So going to New York, New York has successfully done a great job. Yes, with any other program, there's always aspects that can improve. But New York has been very mindful in the way they incentivize Community Solar, which in New York is known as CDG, Community Distributed Generation Facilities. Nothing more than a fancy term for a solar site foreign to the recipients of the electricity. So we are very active in New York. And when I say very active, everything is relative. I'm sure there's other fine solar companies who have a lot more capacity than we do, but we have been, in our standards, active in trying to pursue solar projects. We have multiple megawatts under heavy development as we speak. So Vanguard is not only trying to build community solar projects for folks who have started those projects and enter into the development stages, which are the initial steps of any solar project construction, but we have also originated these projects ourselves from the point of contacting landowners and going through the early permitting, land use, and environmental steps, which lead you to interconnection utility steps in order to really bring the project to construction. Why do we like New York so much in community solar? 
because New York has a lot of areas, especially outside of the New York and the boroughs, which do bring some optimal land-based site with the ability to benefit hundreds of residents within the same utility service territory as to where these specific vacant lots are located and where we're going to install the solar panels in a feasible fashion. New York has gone to the extent of possibly helping the owner of that community solar project by extending the incentives directly to the off-takers of this facility. So without getting too technical, there is a high level of maintenance of these facilities in terms of ensuring that every subscriber, every recipient of electricity from this community solar project is invoiced at a discount for such electricity. The utilities are likely to start offering that service to solar developers. This is a monumental step in one that will simplify and further push community solar into more feasible conditions of development. So I think that's why Vanguard is actively developing and building and looking to build further community solar projects in New York. Yeah, I think that's huge. Everything you mentioned, but the last point where the utility would be handling the customer management. So instead of the community solar customer getting two bills, one from the utility and one from the community solar provider, that it's all on one bill. And then also too, to acquire customers potentially as well for the community solar having it all in one bill. And I think as well, they know the utility, so they're a lot more, but there's a higher percentage of getting paid versus like an outside vendor as well doing that. So Benoit, excellent point. And thank you. You just reminded me, we need to always remind ourselves to remind the public, the audience of what is it that we're talking about. Well said. When you are a participant, better known as a subscriber on a community solar project, you are going to receive two separate invoices. You're going to receive your normal utility invoice as you always do today, but you're also going to receive an invoice from the solar company that owns the solar panels for your discounted credit or electricity in your utility bill, which really, to be more specific, it's a specific solar credit to your utility bill. You are separately invoiced that by the solar developer that owns the array. So thank you, Benoit. That's exactly what we're trying to stress here. New York is going to move to streamline that process and avoid two separate invoices, utility and solar developer, and just unify that into one single utility bill. Thanks for reminding me that we must always ensure that the audience understands what's the issue, that's the issue, and what's the solution. Streamlining is the solution. Oh, definitely. Anytime. You know, obviously we have a wide range of people who listen to the podcast. Can you talk about other states you focus on other outside of New York and New Jersey? Be helpful, I think, for our listeners who we call Mavericks. Yeah, for sure. So we're looking at very at a high level, looking at Florida. As you guys probably already know, Florida is not a state that incentivizes the adoption of solar energy by residential and commercial sites. Let me take a step back. They do offer net metering benefits, meaning they do offer full retail value for the solar generation on your utility bill that you do not use. So yes, Florida does offer a fair credit for your solar generation in your utility bill, but it does not offer a cash incentive as we do up in the Northeast for your solar project. So why are we looking at Florida? 
We're looking at Florida because recently the Public Service Commission, the equivalent of the Board of Public Utilities in Florida, is now allowing third-party folks to offer in the residential space solar leases, meaning solar without the investment. So you at the residential level in Florida can now hire folks to install solar without an investment and simply receive a small discount in your electricity bill. Because of that, we're starting to take some baby steps in looking to see where in the commercial sector can we start assessing whether there's opportunity or not. Because we are more of a larger scale commercial industrial provider, we need to see a better structure that can also address this CNI commercial industrial sector under those transactions where the end user does not have to extend an investment. So we are looking at that. But you guys will know Florida Power and Light, NextStar Energy, dominates the market. They're a wonderful organization. They're a utility that does offer probably one of the lowest costs of electricity in the nation. So we do have to give them credit for that. And we're hoping that as Florida matures into the solar renewable space, we will see some type of incentive instituted or some form of non-investment structure for commercial industrial to also benefit from solar without the investment. That will be the catalyst for us to enter the market. And it's all about getting into these markets early, earlier than once everything's fully formed, because that's another thing. Yeah, yeah, well said. My apologies to interrupt you. And yeah, we're also looking at the state of Virginia for all the obvious. We saw some of the Clean Energy Act signed by the governor. So that's going to spark a lot of new changes in Virginia. And we're looking at that as well. We're semi-active in Maryland. So really, if you look at it, there's a lot of opportunity in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts going through some policy changes, which I think will yield some movement in expanding development there as well. Virginia, Maryland, we are very cautiously optimistic in Pennsylvania if they're able to institute a very ambitious program as well. They just need to figure out how funding would work and really down the eastern seaboard selectively all the way down to Florida. So we're looking at all those markets and trying, as you said, getting there early and always reminding ourselves, how can our clients really benefit with or without an investment? How can we objectively offer the real service of objectively explaining the benefits and really finding that avenue, that option for that client to adapt solar energy technologies at the most financially optimal way. That's what we need to ensure to manage correctly. And it's not an easy task, Benoit, as you well know. I mean, working in multiple states involves understanding multiple programs, multiple energy tariffs. It's not an easy task, but we are fortunate and thankful that throughout the last 13 years, we have been able to gain enough knowledge to bring optimal solutions to our clients. That, that's where we stand today. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty comprehensive and that's really helpful. Can you talk about how COVID-19 has impacted Vanguard as a developer and installation company? Yes. So let's divide that between positives and negatives. On the positive side, 
we get to spend more time with our significant others since we're all working remotely. <laughs> we're all literally working remotely and spending a lot of time at home. And it's been quite a change, but we are successfully doing so. So that's a positive that I like to bring up. We're getting to appreciate a lot of aspects of life that we didn't before because we're always running and following a fast-moving schedule. Also on the positive side, the COVID has brought up a lot more attention from folks towards sustainability. Don't ask me why, but I'm having a lot of folks who are taking the time to learn more specifically about sustainability. And we're having, surprisingly, jurisdictions like municipalities, like permitting agencies open to video conferences in order to move along certain transactions. And I will say the first four weeks were not easy. We have projects subject to town engineering and town assessments reports, which were not being done simply because the pandemic keeps everybody at home and they had little to no access to data back at the office. So we have seen a dramatic change in six weeks now from municipalities, which have not only adopted video conference platforms, but have enabled their key personnel to have network access from home to these databases, enabling us to move these projects along through the land use zoning process and also the construction permitting process. So that we must be grateful for. Now let's talk about the negative side of COVID-19. Obviously, it goes without saying that we wish health and the best of all of our colleagues, clients, and those that we interact with through this whole pandemic situation. But also, the pandemic has kept certain jurisdictions like utilities from actually performing full assessments or inspections needed to reach commercial operations. By way of example, the CNG, the largest uh, utility in New Jersey, has an issue and they're not allowed to enter sites in order to fulfill some of these inspections. So if you happen to have a project with gear and metering inside of the building, you are likely to be subject to further delays. And this could be catastrophic because of the incentive deadlines that we are all facing. So there are some positive, but there's also some negatives as a result of this COVID-19 pandemic. But by far, the end user is having a hard time assessing a solar energy initiative because you have gone from a very active dialogue and due diligence interaction to one where my counterparty is now just trying to get a hold of their business. Rightfully so, as a solar developer, we have to take a second seat to those priorities and understand that our clients, regardless of which industry they're in, they are trying to survive on their own services. And not until they get a hold of their operations can they then start looking at initiatives like solar energy. So that, in layman's terms, is our biggest obstacle. It's improving, but it's our biggest obstacle in bringing further delays into projects, which never spell anything positive. Definitely. That's another great point that you mentioned. A lot of businesses are focused on their existing be, existing businesses and surviving and 
not necessarily installing solar. So that's a great point. Also, the sponsor of this episode of the podcast is Schwerd Consulting. I know Schwerd Consulting has worked <laughs> with Vanguard Energy Partners for a very long time. And that's actually how I met uh, Steve Schwerd because I used to work at Vanguard Energy Partners. Can you talk about your experience with Schwerd Consulting? Certainly. Wow, this is a great surprise. I had no idea Schwerd Consulting was actually sponsoring this. And I say that with the utmost objectivity. My or our interaction with Schwerd Consulting dates back to probably 2007. And I will say that by far, Schwerd Consulting, specifically Steve Schwerd, has been nothing but a absolutely valuable source to all our solar development. Not only at the professional level, we find Schwerd Consulting to be amicable. They are patient. They listen to the project needs. They truly accommodate to what we need or our clients need in order to advance the projects. And I do not take that lightly at all. There are many engineering firms which seem to follow a certain protocol. And we respect that. But unfortunately, those protocols tend to bring or lack flexibility in project engineering development. And this is something that Schwerd Consulting excels at. The ability of Schwerd to mold, to accommodate our development, whether it's a small warehouse, rooftop installation, trying to overcome certain electrical aspects of how we're going to interconnect the solar project or a structural challenge within a rooftop, or we're talking about a large-scale ground-mounted array with a large range of environmental milestones to overcome, I cannot speak enough about how helpful Shore Consulting and Stephen have been with our organization. Again, I welcome my competitors, my clients, anybody in the marketplace, just take the time. Take 10 minutes and give Steve Schwartz a call and just learn more about their approach and patience in really assessing the project development. Because again, I cannot speak enough about the great value that Stephen has brought to us professionally. And at a personal level, I find him to be an amicable fella, easy to communicate with, and above all, unlike most engineering firms, with an ideal value of uh, or element of having the openness to listen to what the client needs. So again, thank you for bringing the name up. I had no idea he's a sponsor of the segment, and I cannot be happier about that fact. Well, that's an amazing recommendation. So uh, First Word Consulting, and, and we thank them for sponsoring this episode. You know, it's interesting. We've had, this is the 73rd podcast, and a lot of the guests asked me, how can I be the number one downloaded podcast episode? And I thought it was interesting to hear that for your potential customers, that you provide them in the email a link towards the podcast. And I've been surprised over time I still see a lot of people downloading the podcast. Can you talk about that? Because, you know, it's interesting because people, I think you do a great job of promoting it. And I think it's just interesting from a marketing perspective where your clients get to know and learn about you in a non-intrusive way and that they could learn about the industry. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I'm happy to share. And this goes back to why I am honored to be part of this podcast. And that sounds like a cliche, but it's not. And I'll tell you why. 
I learned early on, really early on, I'm talking about 2007, that in order to be successful in enabling folks, whether you're residential, commercial, large-scale utility, to adopt and receive the benefit of a solar installation, you truly have to adapt to that specific client's needs. Again, sounds like another cliche. We need to put our interests aside. As I tell my clients, when I first meet a potential client, I want to ensure that this individual benefits from the most objective data, even if that objective data hurts my company's chances in and eventually signing a contract, that objectivity must be there in honesty above all. My biggest need and want in this industry as a professional is to communicate to my potential clients that I'm here to first objectively work tandem as a consultant in ensuring that they get the financial, technical, and regulatory aspects of doing solar. And only if we're able to objectively and honestly reach a conclusion that A, moves the project forward, or B, cancels the project, then I am the happiest professional in this industry. And I think a lot of my longtime clients like Goya Foods, like Morgan Stanley, like Deutsche Bank, Prudential Insurance, FNS Protus, there's a common denominator among all these clients. And that's that very objective intent from my personal perspective in my companies to ensure they are not being sold, but they are being educated. And if I'm honored to sit here today with you, Benoit, and get that message out there, regardless of who this client ends up executing a solar project with, we both win and our industry moves forward. I think this is how podcasts will reach a higher level of participation because there's got to be that honest intent. Definitely. That is so huge. That's a great point, Alex. This has been an amazing podcast. If people wanted to learn more about Vanguard or to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So my cell phone is always open to everybody, 772-215-3626. My email, alex at vsandvictor, energy.com. And other than that, I'm here to first educate and support, and then we'll talk about any specifics. And I thank you for this wonderful forum and option to get our industry's message out to the public. You're welcome. Thank you again for being on the podcast. We'll have your contact information as well on the notes of the podcast as well. But thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown. 